It seems uh, no matter where we look today, we see kind of angry talking heads. You flip on news channel, you know, right or left, there they are. Some, sometimes I think like, just how many angry people can you fit on one TV screen? You got like eight people on there yelling and grimacing and looking smug. And uh, so then I kind of try to escape that. I go to like the millennial news world, which is YouTube. On there you get kind of younger, more diverse, more energetic people, but still there's a sense of kind of polarization and, and resentment uh, for the other side. You know, I even go to ESPN, you know, I just want to go watch some sports, and instead I get a, a sports news program where there's two guys yelling at each other about you know, which team's better, which, who's the best player in baseball. And, and, uh, and that makes sense, they're passionate. You know, we worship sports in America, so it, it makes sense that we take seriously you know, the rise and fall of our patron franchise. But then we looked at Catholic news. You know, maybe Catholic news is a place of refuge we could go to. But it seems like we're just as divided and frantic as secular news. You know, like, we got the pro-life camp over here, and we got the social justice camp over here. And somehow, they don't like each other and don't get along. And they're both accusing each other of not being real Catholics. And everybody thinks Pope Francis is on their side. And, uh, and there's so many voices, and, and there's a lot of feelings and passion and just hate out there. And, it, and I think it's easy for us to get caught up in this flurry of voices and, and, you know, we get kind of swept into one camp or the other. And then you look across at the people who are swept into the other camp and you just think, you know, how naive can you be to believe that, you know, to be so backwards to believe in that, whatever that is, you know, whatever the topic of the day is. So what voice do you find yourself listening to? You know, which camp do you find yourself falling into, being swept up into? Uh, One thing we can be sure of from the readings today is that there's one voice worth listening to. Uh, The first reading tells us, uh, Moses tells us, A prophet like me will the Lord your God raise up for you. To him you shall listen. God will put his own words in this prophet's mouth. This new prophet is going to speak God's word to us, uh, telling us everything that the Father commands him. And so we look to the gospel today and we see that that's Jesus. Jesus is the new prophet, the new Moses, who speaks with divine authority. But what happens when, uh, when we listen to Jesus' voice? What does that actually mean, to listen to Jesus' voice? Well, let's look at the gospel. We see that whenever Jesus teaches, people are astonished. And I think when we look at the gospel as a whole, when we actually take it at face value and really dig into it, instead of kind of filtering it with our normal modes or or kind of just assuming that we know what comes next because we've heard this story before, uh, when we actually let it hit us, we will be astonished. And what is it about his teachings that take us aback, that astonish us? I want to say that it's his promises, it's the promises that Jesus makes, and it's the demands that he makes of us. Those promises and his demands. So what does he promise first? He promises joy to the full. I come that you might have joy and have it to the full. That's what he promises us. He promises peace, happiness, both in this life and in the next life. Not just happiness in eternal life, but happiness now. That's what he promises. Uh, He promises resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies, new bodies. Also, a new earth and a new heavens for for our new bodies to live in. And he promises divinization. Divinization is an Eastern term. We're not really familiar with it over here. But what it means is that we partake in Trinitarian life. That in eternity, we will actually be taking up 
taken up into the life of the Holy Trinity. That's what he promises. And how can we really ponder those things and not be astonished? But he also makes demands of us. Jesus makes demands of our lives. Are they difficult? Absolutely. Uh, He tells us to be perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect. He gives us the Beatitudes, which are like confusing and seem impossible. Uh, And he tells us to love our enemies. To forgive our enemies is one thing, but to actually love our enemies. He demands that of us. He demands not only that we be detached of the things of this world that are going to harm us, you know, the the evil things of the world, but we're also supposed to be detached of the things of the world that we actually like, the things that are good for us. We're not even supposed to be attached to those. How are we supposed to do that? Uh, I think by human standards we realize that what Jesus is demanding is impossible. And so as a result, uh, a lot of us can look at these teachings and kind of ask in our hearts the same question that the demon asks Jesus today, which is, have you come to destroy us? He asks us, have you come to destroy us? I think we can easily look at the demands of the gospel and think that Jesus is trying to take away our freedom. Uh, And is that not the gospel of our day? That's the gospel of the contemporary uh, era. Freedom. Everything that's evil today is evil because it's a threat to our freedom. Everything that's good today is is good because it promises freedom. This kind of absolute, uninhibited freedom that we all all are striving for so often in our culture. Uh, It's kind of a culture of radical individuality, so we don't want anyone imposing on our freedom. So to submit to Jesus' authority is kind of foreign to us, um, as the gospel presents it today. We want Jesus to be our buddy, for sure. We definitely want to be friends with Jesus. And we, I think we even see him as a, a great teacher, and, and even, you know, as a role model for all of us to live up to, the life of love that he lived. But do we see him as our God, as the one who speaks the words of the Father to us? So why, uh, why are we so afraid to... to really face the demands of the gospel, the demands that Jesus gives us? Why do we kind of recoil at the difficulty of being a Christian sometimes? And some of those teachings just just make us, you know, distance ourselves. I think it's because we've separated the promises that Jesus makes us from the demands that he makes upon us. Uh, And perhaps we forget the promises entirely sometimes. So, just a little story. When, When Sir Ernest Shackleton was preparing for a trip to Antarctica. He was going to try to make it all the way to the South Pole. No one had made it there. So uh, he, he posted an ad in the paper. And this is how the ad read. It said, Men wanted for hazardous journey. Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful. Honor and recognition in event of success. So not the most compelling ad. But thousands of men showed up and wanted to go on this adventure with him. Thousands of men answer this ad. Why is that? Because we all love an adventure. Everybody loves an adventure. And we don't care about the cost or the strain that it's going to cause us or the suffering that we have to endure as long as the adventure is worthy of all of that. Uh, And so that's how we think of the moral demands of Christ. Being a Christian is a great adventure. It's the greatest adventure and the only one actually worth living for when it comes down to it. Yet in order to really live it, in order to be free enough to live it, to survive in it, and even to thrive as a Christian, we have to strive for Christian perfection. We have to strive for that perfection that Christ calls us to. Uh, The moral teaching of Christ is, in many ways, it's kind of the necessary training 
for us to be Christians, to live this out in a very real way. Uh, and it also kind of makes up the trials that we face along the way as, as we grow in discipleship. So without the great promises that Jesus gives us at the forefront of our mind, if we don't always keep those in our heart, uh, when our demands, the demands that are made upon us are separated from those promises and from discipleship, the, the moral teaching seems kind of arbitrary and demanding and, and rigid and cold and, and really lifeless. Uh, and so sometimes we ask him, have you come to destroy us? So then I think the, the answer that Jesus gives us whenever we ask him that is we can look back to the gospel two weeks ago when he's calling the disciples to come and live this life. And he just turns to us and we hear him say, come and you will see. Be my disciple and you'll see if this life is if this life restrains you, or if it makes you truly free. So, we need to look only as far as the lives of the saints, those who really followed Jesus, those who gave up everything and were willing to kind of detach themselves from the world in order to just see, to to come and see. Um, And we see in the saints a great joy and freedom that we don't have. They were the freest people that ever lived, Um, even amidst great suffering. So, in the midst of all this kind of fake news that this world's given us and, and the talking heads that are dividing us and, and polarizing us and, and causing and provoking anxiety, uh, we always have to look back to Jesus who, who gives us this kind of refreshing good news, this real news. Uh, and that's the gospel. And if we look at it anew and really allow ourselves to be astonished by it, I think we'll find that that the demands that the gospel makes on us, the demands that Christ's teaching makes on us, which are certainly difficult, I don't want to underestimate that. They're impossible by our standards. We need his grace to live them. But though impossible, they are also a joyful part of this great adventure. Amen.